Hello and welcome to Access Chat. I'm delighted that I'm actually here this time to welcome Lamondre Pew to Access Chat. Third time here, <laughs> only the first time that I get to speak to you. So third time's a charm, right? So uh, absolutely, welcome back. It's really good to have you here. Apologies for my absence. So um, Lamondre, you're uh, CEO of Billion Strong. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. And and, and you've also worked with with Deborah as part of Root Global for for a long time. So you're part of the community. But but please introduce yourself again. Absolutely. First of all, it is great being with you, uh, Neil, and, and and it's wonderful to be back. And thank you, thank you all for the opportunity uh, to 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 have this. Conversation. I think that this is a very important space and a very important platform um, for, for, for people to learn, for people to express themselves, and for people to communicate and continue the dialogue um, around accessibility. Um, I am Lamondre Pugh. I'm the CEO of Billion Strong, which is a global identity organization by and for people with disabilities. Our aim really is to unite, to elevate and to empower the 1.3 billion people on the planet with some form of disability. And our goal really is to help develop a positive disability identity so that when we come together, so that we can come together and effect positive change to be a voice, to connect the community. Could you imagine what kind of power and what kind of results we could get if 1.3 billion people on the planet came together and spoke as a unified group and spoke with a unified voice. Well, that is the audacious goal of Billion Strong. That is the, (laughs) we actually have the goal to think that that's a possibility and that we can be agents to help make that happen. So more than just an organization, it's really a movement. It's a movement of empowerment. It's a movement of empowering the global community of people with disabilities. So that's who we are in a really quick nutshell. Thank you. And 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 pleased to be a part of it. So I, I think it's it's audacious, it's big. I hope it's not too hairy. Um but it, it is something that we, we need to do because one of the the biggest challenges that we've had Mm-hmm. Is the fact that that actually we don't speak with a unified voice, right. that, that we uh, don't really get the benefit of the size of our community because we are fragmented. So, right. so, and I think that 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 when we really do collectively speak, there's enormous power in that. But there is a challenge in in bringing people together and and, and getting that harmonised conversation. So more power to you to to make this happen. Deborah, I know you've got a question. I'm unmuting. Um, first of all, and I know that um, they're very proud that you accepted um, as you accepted to be a board member, Neil. I know you're really, really, really too busy and you're like, no, no, no. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, I know Lamondre really appreciates uh, the leadership that you continue to show. And, um, and, and Lamondre, I, I know as the CEO of Billion Strong, I, I was just wondering, and when you were talking about identity, do you mind talking a little bit more about your lived experiences with disabilities from the different um, 
you know, from the different lenses. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I am a person with a disability. I have spinal muscular atrophy and spinal muscular atrophy. For for those of you who don't know, it's a progressive neurological disorder that really does affect all of my activities of daily living. Um, I can't walk. I can't bathe myself. I can't feed myself. I rely on attending care services um, to, um, to, to, to live, to live this beautiful life that I live. And, uh, and, and, and actually, uh, it's, it's, it's quite robust in, in terms of the services that I receive and the experiences that I have. Now, here's something, when you talk about identity in itself, so often when we bring disability to, into the equation, we have a tendency to forget or minimize the other aspects of who we are. Because not only am I a person living with spinal muscular atrophy, I am a man living with spinal muscular atrophy. I am a black man living with spinal muscular atrophy. I'm a black man raised in the Southern part of the United States with spinal muscular atrophy. And all of those things are a part of who I am. Not one of those things is the defining point about Lamondre Pugh or the identity of Lamondre Pugh, but all of those things are a part of the identity of Lamondre Pugh. And all of them, all of them shape my perspective of the world. And it also, they all shape the perspective that the world has of me as well. And so often we say in Billion Strong that identity is a two-way street. It is not only about how how the world sees you, but it's also about how you see yourself. So how do we show up? How do we show up to ourselves? And how do we show up to, how do we show up to the rest of the world? So all of those facets are, are, are a part of it. And that's a part of what Billion Strong um, seeks to address is that we're not just looking at one aspect of a person, but it's bringing the entire person to the like, table, the person bringing their entire selves to the table. And 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 really being honored in that regard. So, uh, Lamont, we are you know, almost two years in the in the pandemic. You know that restricted uh, our lives. You know our movements, uh, the services that we can access, that we can access, and the services that sometimes that we need in order to take care of ourselves. Can you can you tell us from from your own personal experience? But also from uh, information that you might have read or information that you might have researched, uh, what what is the current scenario in terms of caregiving, in terms of support people are getting, problems that they faced over over the two years? Because I think it's it's very important for us to reflect on that. Oh, absolutely, it is, and that's a great question, Antonio. Thank you for asking that. As I stated before, I rely on attending care services. Um, just to navigate my life on on a daily basis. Three times a day, I have people who come in my home. They get me up in the mornings. They help me get dressed. They feed me. Then they leave. They, I work a bit. They come back in during the middle of the day. They help me use the restroom. They feed me, and then they leave. And then in the evening, someone comes in. They help me eat my dinner. We do everything we need to do. They put me in bed, and then they leave. And this is how I live independently in the community by myself, because of these beautiful people that come in every day to do that. When, when March of 2020 hit, I did not know how my life was going to look because we had this 
thing in the air that completely threatened everyone's way of life, but especially mine. My choice was either to move back home with my mother and my family or go into an institution. These were the two options that I was facing. And of course, the third option, though, was if people remain consistent and safe, that I would remain in my home and I could continue to be independent. Well, as I said, the entire world was put on pause. So for me, that was a tightrope walk in that I didn't know what it looked like. But let me tell you how dedicated. Let me tell you how dedicated the people um, who really helped to help me in, in that part of my life are. They showed up. They showed up every day. They showed up with gowns and masks. They showed up with new protocols. They showed up doing things differently, but every day they still showed up. So I didn't have to move back home. I did not have to go into an institution. I was able to stay at home. However, something else happened over these past two years. We know that, and and, and well, for those of you who don't know, caregivers are grossly underpaid, grossly underpaid. I'll put it to you this way. You can work at a fast food restaurant that's typically the first job for high school students and earn more than you can caring or providing the assistance that people need in their own homes. And and, and let me give you just kind of a, overview of this. Some of my caregivers get reimbursed by insurance, by by governmental programs at a rate of about $10 an hour. $10 an hour. While some fast food restaurants are starting people at around $15 an hour. So when you think about it from that perspective, it boggles my mind how someone who has dedicated themselves to ensuring that I can lead a quality life cannot earn enough doing that work to provide a quality life for themselves. And so this is one of the issues. So back to the pandemic, we were already struggling with that issue prior to the pandemic. But we also know that during the pandemic, a phenomenon happened. And that was called the Great Resignation, where people started leaving their jobs, leaving their chosen career paths to do something else. Some of it was because they wanted to find more meaningful work. Some of it was because they wanted different work environments. But some of it was also because they recognized that they needed something that paid them more. Well, the truth is, this is what has happened in the home care industry as well. So before, you had a nutrition rate of about 35 to 45%. Well, that's jumped up to about 65% now. And so what has happened is that even though it was a struggle before to find and maintain and retain um, good talent, people who are dedicated, it's even more of a struggle now. It's even more of an issue now. I have had, literally, I have had to sometimes find my own 
attendance when I have an agency that's charged with doing that, but they are strapped so hard. They're strapped so tightly that they can't. And my story is not unique. My situation is not unique. And this is access chat. So a lot of times what we talk about here on access chat is we're talking about accessibility. Well, let me tell you something. Effective attendant care is a crucial element in accessibility. It is critical and it is crucial. And so these things go hand in hand and we cannot, we cannot be silent on this issue. We have to speak out about it. And so I thank you for the opportunity to share on this platform. And that's been my experience and that's what I've seen, um, honestly, on a global level. And Lamandre, let's talk a little bit about the negatives associated with caregivers during COVID-19. Because, for example, I know Rosemary, our chief accessibility officer, who is, she has cerebral palsy and needs around-the-clock support from caregivers. And um, people didn't show up. The, the, um, this, you know, ice is covering the driveway uh, so they can't get in. Um the the story that you told me one night, uh, Lamandre, when you were laying in bed, something was crawling on you. But you know what? I was just wondering if maybe you would tell that story because it's things that we don't think about. So another thing with caregivers, besides them being grossly underestimated, underpaid, undervalued, no benefits, ridiculousness all over the world. We're all caregivers. We are all caregivers. All of us care for other people at certain times. But the, you know, at the same time, people can't move into this field, even if they want to be in this field, because they can't afford it. And so some people just get in there just to make it's just such a mess. And so, but let's talk about also some of the things that happen when the caregivers don't show up or they show up like the one you recently had. Um, and she told you what she said about somebody she was just with a few minutes ago before she was with you. Right. It's, it's just such a big, complicated issue. And at the same time, and this is something I know you were, you want to take on with Billion Strong. How do, you know, what, what responsibilities do employers have to support caregiving? But we have a major problem, I believe, I, I know that we have a major problem in that for Lamandre to stay independent, which he wants, um, he has caregivers coming in and out, which is great. But I would um, argue that it would be very supportive if Lamandre had caregivers all the time. And then he's going to tell us a couple of stories because the reality is, you know, they... I don't know. There's so many realities that we're not thinking about when it comes to caregiving. And so I was just wondering if you would talk about just some of the realities that we walked during, um, you know, COVID-19, including society starting to understand why teleworking is so important and how lonely you can get things like that. So Absolutely. Lamont, no, no, let, let me just give me a, a, a quick note here. We are talking about in the United States, Know, uh, that are facing this situation. But I just want to remember that in many countries around the world, the work of the carer the, the, is not recognized. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are or working for free or trying to help someone. I think it's important also to highlight that this, you know, we are two years in the pandemic, this has created a problem at a scale that is inimaginable. 
the consequences that have taken place. Absolutely, uh, Anthony, and I'm glad you said that because, you know, as I said, these, this this is a global issue. Um, it, it, you know, I, I am telling my story from the perspective of the U.S. because that's my experience. But the truth is, it is global, and so many caregivers who who have who have to not only support themselves and their families are taking care of people for free with no value associated with it whatsoever. And honestly, for a lot of families, that plunges them into poverty, that plunges them into situations that had there been a little bit of support could have made the outcomes so much different. So thank you uh, for adding that. And that's why I say this is an issue that we have to hit head on and we have to begin to talk about it in larger platforms. We have to begin to, to speak about it. But some of the issues that, that I have faced and, 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 and so many others, um, so many others that I know face it is really because in many instances, the lack of the lack of compensation, there are people who, who would really love to do this kind of work. But as Deborah said earlier, they can't afford to. And the reason they can't afford to is because they cannot earn a livable wage in doing this. Now, that does not diminish the need. That does not diminish the desire to do it. But what does that do? Well, it opens the door to people who are only seeking to do this because of the money. So in other words, it's hard to attract the best and brightest when the best and brightest can't take care of themselves with it. So you get people who, and this by and large, and I don't want to give this impression, but what ends up happening is you do get some people who are just kind of in it for whatever they're in it for whatever they can get. And they really don't care. And they're not even professional. One of the stories that Deborah uh, was talking about was there's a young woman um, who came to me one morning. She was a feeling she was not one of my regulars. I call my regulars the dream team because I am extremely fortunate that they are amazing professionals who are excellent at what they do and they're committed to it. But this particular time I had a fill-in and I'm a generally happy guy. Okay. I, I, I that's just my disposition. I'm uh, that's just who I am. And one morning uh, when she came in, um, I'm my happy self. And uh, I, I made a joke and she looked at me, she was like, how can you joke? At a time like this, am I thinking, what, it's, it's eight o'clock in the morning. What do you mean a time like this? And she said, you're so smiling and so happy. I just found out at three o'clock this morning while I was with another client that he has COVID. I said, what? And she was like, yes. And they didn't tell me he has COVID right now. And I stopped and I said, and you're here with me right now. And she was like, yes, but don't be scared. Don't be scared. And my response to her was, I am not afraid of COVID, but I am afraid of carelessness. So as soon as she got me in the right position, I said, you can leave now. Because my thinking is, my thinking is, what, how in the world do you come into someone's home who you have identified as yourself as being vulnerable to 
serious complications if they contract COVID. As a professional, how do you put that? How do you walk into a scenario and allow that to happen? These are the kinds of things. One of the challenges that that, that we faced during the whole COVID um, pandemic was really, how do I quarantine when I rely on people to feed me? How do I effectively quarantine? How do I effectively create a safe buffer zone for myself when I have to have different people coming in and out of my home in order to do that? So as I said, we established some protocols and some things that would help protect in that situation. But of course, not everybody follows that. And so it has been an issue. I think that COVID also, I think COVID has also opened up some possibilities for folks that we did not realize before, as Deborah mentioned, the whole work from home thing. A lot of organizations and companies who said it couldn't be done had to do it in order to survive. And the benefit of that, though, is that that, that meant that there, were a whole, there was a whole other layer that could be introduced into the workforce that we'd always been there. We always said this is what we could do and wanted to do, but now companies saw a way to do that. However, without effective attendant care, it's still an impossibility for many others. And so when you start to look at what caregivers are paid, if they are paid, when you start to look at, when you start to look at the need to value the contributions of caregivers, it all plays a part of this. It, it, it all plays into it. And so we have to find ways to increase the reimbursement rate or increase the pay for our caregivers so that we can attract and so that we can retain those who are really committed and dedicated to this. And in addition to that, you have to realize that institutions are getting it. What do I mean by that? The monies that could go to caregivers in terms of those who are professional caregivers and those who provide care for family members, the institutions are getting the money for that. Nursing homes, assisted living facilities, they're getting it. And they can afford to pay their workers as if they're getting it. So the truth is the money is there. It's just allocated in the wrong areas or the way that we choose to disperse it is what the issue is. And what we've discovered is you get better outcomes when individuals can remain in their own homes. You get better outcomes when individuals can be in the community. If you do that, we just have to shift priorities and make it a priority. Yeah. So, so, so it's, there are differences between the national systems, um, but I'm just to give some kind of idea of the the scale of unpaid care. So the the, the UK government, which is you know we're smaller than the US, they reckon that there are around six point five million people acting as unpaid carers in the UK in any given year, mm-hmm. and that they provide care that is worth somewhere between 57 and 100 billion pounds worth every okay. year right so so that that those are those are mind-boggling amounts these are covid relief package absolutely amounts of money absolutely and the government's getting this for free 
But they're not getting it for free because it's detracting from society. Because the people that are the unpaid carers are no longer taxpaying or able to take in like, more different jobs. They, you know, care is a valuable thing, right? You, you've been really clear about that, and you've been you know, lucid and, and 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 absolutely. But they may not be the best placed people to give that care, and there may be better placed people, and they may have more to give in another way. Absolutely. So, so by creating a carer's economy that is fair and equitable, we are actually going to create a, a, a more profitable economy as a whole for, for society. So it, it's really trying to get that, that sort of concept across to the people that are making the decisions about how the money is spent because they will get more revenue, but it is definitely a case of spending money to make money. And and, and the mindset of a lot of politicians and, and, and bureaucrats, no matter where they are in the world, is save money. You know what's interesting about that, Neil? It's because it is a very nuanced conversation, right? And when we think about it, it is not just, oh, it's just going to cost us so much money to do that. Well, it's already costing us so much money to not do it, number one. And as I said before, for the most part, the monies are there. They're already there. It's just how we choose to allocate them and how we choose to prioritize them. Um, so it's it, it's very nuanced. And it has we have to look at it from multiple perspectives as opposed to just, oh, it's going to cost us this. But look what it's already costing. Look what look look at what it's already um, draining from society to not do it. Yeah, um, yeah, and it, it's worth to it's worth to note that um, artificial intelligence is not going to solve the caregiving problem. We know that we've learned that as society. We um, we've talked about this on air before, but uh, we created an artificial artificial uh, AI. AI seal that was going to help with loneliness with seniors. And what they found was they gave this little toy that had artificial intelligence to senior citizens, and they would be sitting in nursing homes. They, tr they were trying it out. And other people would be fascinated by the seal. So they would come over and start engaging with the person that was holding the seal. So the seal did not take away the loneliness, but it was the reason why it caused the people to engage with each other. So artificial intelligence is not going to solve the caregiving problems, but that is going to be one jobs that we know will be here. It will be here. Caregiving for other human beings will always be there. Artificial intelligence can't take care of that. So we really need to pay, put a lot of effort into solving these caregiving problems because these should be considered professional jobs that we really appreciate. And I also wanted to mention often family members have to stop working because they have to care for somebody. I'm in a situation where my husband is needs around the clock care and I have help and I still am struggling to get work done and sleep and things like that. So, um, Go go ahead, Neil. I know you have a comment. Yeah. So so I, I I fully agree. We're not going to end up replacing carers with robots anytime soon. There will still be a need for human to human care. At the same time, I do think that there are things that technology can do that in terms of home automation that allow people that have relied on carers to do simple things to do those things for themselves. 
and to you know for for Lamondre, for example, you know a, you know you could set up a whole bunch of home automation stuff where you previously maybe waited for your carer to come in at certain points of the day, and if you right. get the home automation right, you can now do that independently at a time of your choosing. So there Absolutely. are there are things that technology can improve, but it's not going to solve everything. And but I want again to be nuanced about that because I think we either say AI is going to make everything better or AI is going to destroy everything and tear it down. And it's 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 neither black nor white. Right. And and I will tell you this, and and, and I, I I agree wholeheartedly with that. In fact, I use home automation all day, every day. I do so, but I have never had my Amazon Echo give me a bath. It's never happened. It does not know how to season my food the way that I like it. It, it. it doesn't happen. It can't tell me good morning in a way that's connected and human. It can kind of simulate some things, but it doesn't happen. In fact, the conversations that I have with my Amazon Echo pale in comparison to the connection that I have with the humans who really do care and love me. So, yeah, you're right. We can rely on technology for some things, but caring comes from person to person. And that's what's essential. That's what's needed. Yeah. I, 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 I Again, I, I, I agree. And, and by the way, I would not recommend taking an electronic device into the bathroom. <laughs> Do not take your Alexa into the bath with you. Dangerous. <laughs> I won't. I won't. Thank you for that. Okay. I thought so, about it, but I won't. But I so, think they have. I think that they have versions that water, are waterproof, though. Yeah, probably. But, <laughs> but so you know, people people have been taking their you know their waterproof mobile phones in, but forgetting that they're on the charger and then electrocuting themselves because the charger's not waterproof. Oh so, no, no! No. Yeah. Yeah. Not. I mean, they're winning the Darwin Awards. So. Um, <laughs> But point taken. And and also, it's not just about the the physical nature of the care. You're right. It's about the 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 human to human connection. That's super important. And 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 the, the the mental health benefits of being able to see people. We know from statistics that have been gathered by by the UK. And and one of the few things that the UK remains good at is connected statistics gathering on on health. Right. Uh, we we know that loneliness is really bad for you. It has the same kind of deleterious effect on your health as smoking five to ten cigarettes a day. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about the fact that someone's coming in, cooking your breakfast, helping you get dressed. It's also keeping you smiling and upbeat and connected to the world. That 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 that's such an important part of. Right, of the role that your your dream team plays, uh, and and the dream teams around the globe play. Right, and so honestly, we, we and honestly, like yeah, we do. And, and and honestly, I do the same for them. I do the same for them. It is a true exchange. One of the things that I've learned about this kind of relationship, yes, it is a very professional relationship, but it is more than a job relationship as well. Because think about it. You are coming into my environment, my home, not an institution, not, you know, it's my pictures on the wall. It's my artwork. It's, 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 it's my cologne. It's, it's, it's all of those things that say who Lamondre Pugh is and you're interacting with me. You're doing the most intimate of intimate things for me. And in that, in that situation, there is a connection 
that goes beyond the physical. That's why it's important to match. That's why it's important to have a good fit because there is a connection that goes beyond physical connection. And when, when, whenever you see those relationships blossom, whenever you see that, when it's a good match, when it's a good fit, lives change. And it's not just the life of the person receiving the care that's enhanced, but it's also the person who's providing the care. Their life is enhanced as well. So it, it, it honestly goes far beyond um, just the physical dues. Yeah, I I know that I know that we got it. We've got to close. But another thing that I know that you want to take on at Billion Strong is, you know, supporting employers, helping employers understand the caregiving part of this puzzle. Mm -hmm. And um, and and it's it's so complicated. Everything's so complicated. But um, but employers also are part of this. And so another reason why we're so glad that people like Neil agreed to be on your board because you need the professionals that are doing it. So we, I mean, this is very complicated, nuanced um, in each country. (laughs) So you try to look at it. Yeah. It's, it's a complicated, complicated thing, but it's important that the community speak for themselves. And that's why it's so important. We do do have a carers network within, within our organization. So so oh, you do need yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, we one of our employees' networks is is dedicated to to carers. How 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 many? I I don't know how common that is. I've never heard of that. N- not that common. I, mean, it's I don't think. I mean, I, I actually think when you plus Atos. Yeah, when you <laughs> when you look at some of the um the employee benefits and the networks that we have, it's 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 pretty impressive. So um, you know. The, there is a will to recognize the humanity of our employees right? because we are part of a collective. So I know we have to close. So um, it just remains for me to thank Barclays Access Microlink and the great people at MyClearText for keeping us on air and captioned. And Andre, it's been a real pleasure. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Look forward to you joining us on Tuesday for Access Chat. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.